Welcome to the Messages Podcast with Every Nation NYC. We are here for you to know God, grow together, discover purpose, and make a difference in New York City and beyond. Please check out our Facebook and Instagram at Every Nation NYC and enjoy the message. Well, hello, everyone. I am so excited to be bringing a message from the Word of God to you. My name is Nathan, and I've got to give a little shout out to everybody who's watching who's participating in Next Generation Sunday. If you're a kid watching this, man, I'm so glad that you're watching. You are taking a massive step of faith. I remember being a kid, being in church, and totally ignoring this part of church. And so if you hear anything that I'm saying right now, just know you're on a path of growing with God. If you're a high school student or middle school student, welcome. This moment is also for you. And to all of our college and campus students, man, I'm so excited that you're here as well. Our church is for all of you. This, there is no baby church here at Every Nation NYC. We are all part of the same body of Christ, growing together, knowing God, growing together, discovering our purpose, and making a difference in each of our spheres. And so I want you to hear this today. We are for you. If you feel like you're too young, that's a lie. If you feel like you're too old, that's also a lie. This body of diverse, beautiful people of all ages and stages is designed for us to be all mixed in here together. And as we grow closer to one another, grow closer to God, God is going to do a mighty work in our midst. So go on ahead, love somebody from a different generation, get to know somebody from a different generation, start to care about people, maybe that are younger than you or older than you. This is a huge part of our purpose as people of God. So I'm so glad to be doing life, to be doing church, to be doing this with all of you who are listening here today. All right, next week, we've got a number of extraordinary things happening. On Saturday, we've got our incredible 9-11 Night to Honor New York City. It's been 20 years since that horrific day, 20 years ago, 9-11, but also 20 years since God started working through that moment to launch our church, to restore our city, to do some extraordinary things through your lives, millions of little miracles that have happened in our city. And we want to celebrate and honor how we've grown out of that moment, honor those who serve our city. And so I'm inviting you and your friends and your family, come on, let's celebrate together on 9-11. And then on 9-12, next Sunday, we've got an in-person only service. I'm sorry for those of you who have been loving our online service. This is a one week only. We're coming back online the following week. But because our team is human and not superhuman, we're giving our online team one week off so that we can focus in on making a lot of videos and, and other digital material for our 9-11 and 9-12 events. But we'd love to see you. Come on out on 9-12. Let's celebrate 20 years together. It's our 20-year anniversary. And we've got all of our sites coming from New Jersey all the way out to the Hamptons, north to the Bronx, and us all gathering in Manhattan together. So I look forward to seeing you there. You should register for each event. Uh, if you plan on attending either of those, please register at everynationnyc.org. Thank you for doing that. Now, let's jump into our series. We've been walking through a series for a number of weeks called Living It. And it's all about how we can live out the truths that are found in God's scripture. What we're doing is we're walking through the book of Acts and we see time and time again, Peter, Paul, men and women of God, living in power and living in faith, not just talking about stuff, really truly doing it. And that's my heart for you today is that you're not just going to talk about stuff. You're not just going to hear about it. We're not just going to hear the stories of old about all the mighty things that God used to do. No, he's going to do it through you 
today. We're going to live this out. We're going to live holy. We're going to live empowered. We're going to live this life that God is calling us to. So if you've got some faith with you, let's join in. If you've got some faith on you, let's join in together and read this scripture that's coming to us from Acts chapter 19. Say this each week that I'm on at least. Get your Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 19 together. And as you turn there, I'm going to do a little summing up and walking into what we're about to read together. Paul is on his third missionary journey through uh, the Mediterranean region, traveling through Turkey, traveling through modern day Turkey and Greece, um, and even into Italy. And he's on his third journey, and he's returning to Ephesus. In each of these places, there is a portfolio of gods in each local region. They're worshiping all sorts of different kinds of gods. And these gods have economic standing. These gods have um, ways uh, that they influence the culture and the livelihood of the people in each of these places. And so for for Paul to start to challenge this multiplicity of gods and say, no, there's only one God, and actually he's been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, continuing the story of the Old Testament into what Jesus has done in the New Testament, is challenging to Jewish people, it's challenging to Gentile or the people of the nations, the people of this Mediterranean region, and it's challenging all of their structures, the way that they've set up their society, the way that they orchestrate their economy. This is a challenge to them, this new way of believing and trusting God. And at the center of all of that is Jesus, the mighty, beautiful, wonderful Jesus, the name of Jesus, who is not just a name, but is truly uh, the, the Son of God who lived and died, rose again. So Paul is doing this. He's challenging all of the status quos. And we pick up in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that, he, that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that's people that would travel around and expel demons from people. So some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became well known to the residents of Ephesus, both to Jews and to Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in sight of all. And they counted the value of all of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a modern equivalent of around six million dollars worth of hand-copied books full of secret magic, dark arts, and such. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God, this is an interesting passage. It's a pretty wild passage with strange things happening. But God, I pray that today we would not think of ourselves too high to learn from your word or too removed from spiritual things to not see the spiritual realities around us today. 
God, I pray that you speak to us through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot of stuff happening here in this passage. Good stuff, evil stuff, magic stuff, spiritual stuff. And as modern Western people, we like to think that we've kind of washed our hands of all the super spooky spiritual stuff, that we're not superstitious people, that we don't always believe in spiritual things, in angels or demons. But I want to challenge you, just because we've given a number of clinical names to things, that does not remove or totally explain away spiritual things. Just because we can put a label on someone, having a particular mental illness or having a particular syndrome, that does not remove the spiritual realities. Friends, you are made up of three things. You're a body, soul, and spirit. Body, we know that well. Soul is your mind, will, emotions, and your spirit is something that we neglect constantly. We think that we neglect our body, but we feed it daily. We think that we neglect our mind, will, and emotions, and we do. We need to take better care of our mind and our emotions and practice mental health, but we also are a spirit. And these three things are all interconnected. The way that we treat our body affects our spirit. The way that we treat our spirit affects our emotions. They're all intertwined together. And so just because we can understand some of the physiology that's happening and that's influencing our emotional state or our mental state or even our physical state, that does not eliminate the spiritual realities, the unseen realities. As a matter of fact, we know very well that unseen forces are dictating us all the time. I'm held down by an unseen force called gravity. You're watching me through an unseen energy called the internet. And I hope that together we can share an unseen force of love and of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God connecting my words, my heart, and you right now. That God's going to be in the midst of all of this, transforming your heart and my heart together as we study God's word. Can we pray for just a moment? Just ask God to do that. Lord, thank you that you're connecting us, that you are transforming us in this moment to be more and more like you. So here in this passage, we see a lot of spiritual, unseen things happening. We see things that have been in the presence of Paul that have touched his skin, holding, continuing to hold and manifest some of the power of God so that even those who end up touching the handkerchiefs and aprons that Paul had touched end up healed and spirits leaving them. We also see the sons of Sceva trying to invoke the name of Jesus and utterly losing in the face of a man who had superhuman spiritual strength that manifested in the physical world and used his body to beat up seven young men strip them naked, and send them out fleeing, wounded. This is some serious power stuff that's happening here. And just because this story is old does not mean that it's happening today. That would be a silly assumption to assume that we've technologified ourselves out of a spiritual reality, that we've applied enough technology, that we've applied enough academic study, that we've somehow ascended above our true spiritual nature. And the true spiritual nature that's happening in the world, there is good spiritual beings. We call them angels. And there are evil spiritual beings. We call them 
demons. There is over that, there is God who's in charge of it and a real Satan who wants to kill and steal and destroy you. He's lied to you and he's trying to hold you back from walking in all of the authority and power of God. And what I'd like for us to do today is recognize some of that power, recognize some of the things that are happening in the world, and by God's grace, start to rise up in a greater spiritual strength so that we can have victory over the things that are coming against us. The real spiritual forces that are trying to hold you back, that are trying to hold you in a place of isolation, depression, sickness, poverty, that we can break those off of your life to walk in greater levels of freedom. Jesus said, enemy, he came to steal kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life, life abundantly. So let's grow up together and start to walk in the ways of Jesus to victory. I've entitled this message, Secondhand Religion versus Firsthand Relationship. Secondhand Religion versus Firsthand Relationship. And these seven sons of Sceva, I have a soft spot in my heart for them. I can understand to a degree some of what they were facing. They were sons of a priest. I'm a son of a pastor. They were expected to perform mighty works. And as a pastor, as sometimes even an itinerant preacher, I'm expected to bring a powerful message. I'm expected to perform certain acts of of, of anointed power and walk in a power of God. And these guys wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to walk with God. They wanted to be seen as authoritative. They wanted to, to exercise demons and set people free. Kind of good stuff, really. But they went about it the wrong way. And they remind me a lot of many second-generation Christians that I've observed. For second-generation Christians, whether you're second, third, fourth, 19th-generation Christian, I, I, it's kind of the same. Once your parents have come to know the Lord, they've carved out a path, they've carved out a culture in your home, and now there is an overwhelming momentum for you as a second-generation Christian or third or fourth, whatever, to start to walk in a particular way, in a particular lifestyle that's been informed by the Scriptures and that has been informed by the life-changing power of God that's rested on your parents and now is expected on you. There's a certain level of expectation. There's a momentum. There's a, there's a proclivity for us. But there needs to come a time in all of our lives, whether you're first-hand, second-hand, third-hand, whatever, second-generation, third-generation, whatever, where we take that religion and we turn it into a firsthand relationship with God Almighty. And that is something that I see the sons of Sceva had not done. They quoted Jesus, or they quoted about the Jesus, to use their words, and they did it all wrong. They clearly knew nothing of Paul. They clearly knew nothing of Jesus, but they'd heard about him. And many second-generation Christians have heard, they've had the momentum, they've had, we've had the, the, the proclivity in our lives toward God and towards the church and towards the things of God. But as soon as we try to step out and do it ourselves, there is a falling flat. And I want us together, whether you're first generation Christian, just coming to know God, exploring Jesus for the first time, or perhaps you've grown up in the church your whole life, 
Let's take a step of maturity. Maturity is not an age thing. You can be seven years old and be more mature than a 60-year-old. And if you're listening right now and you're seven years old, I want you to hear this. You can be a mature Christian today. You can be in college or high school and be a mature Christian. I've seen extraordinary maturity in people that society calls children. And I've seen extraordinary childishness in people that society calls mature. This is not an age thing. Being 75 years old does not qualify you instantly to be mature. And being seven years old does not qualify you instantly to be immature. Immaturity and maturity is not about an age thing, but it's how we have allowed the work of God and the power of God to work on our life, to transform us, to be more like him. And so I'd like to key out from this passage four marks of maturity and four marks of immaturity. Since we can never really control God, we can't choose when he answers prayers, when he turns up in power. But what we can choose is we can choose to posture our lives in such a way that we're closer to him, that we're walking with him day to day, and that that power of God is more easily expressed through us. And so what I want to focus on, while what Paul does is an extraordinary miracle, it's powerful, it's amazing. We really have no control over God, but what we do have control over is our own response to his call. So I'm going to give us four ways that we can respond today. It's going to help us walk in greater levels of maturity, greater levels of his power. The first one is running versus repenting. The sons of Sceva had a nasty encounter, a nasty public failure. They went into exercise this demon, this evil spirit, and were sent out of the house, wounded, naked, fleeing for their life. But when people, when the society observed this, the fear of God fell on them. And they brought all of these wicked books out. They were worth, they were probably livelihoods. They were serving other gods. They were serving other, other things. They were performing spiritual power by means other than God and Jesus. And they brought out these books and said, we want none of this. It cost them their livelihoods. It cost them their reputation. It cost them so much. But they said, I don't want this in my life anymore. Rather than running from the problem, they repented and said, I don't want the problem in my life anymore. Friends, if you are experiencing shame because of something that you've done, one, I'm very sorry. Two, do not think that the church is the source of your shame. Instead of running from the church and running from community, run into it. All of us have done stupid stuff here. But the mark of maturity is that rather than running from it, we run to it and we repent. We own our shame. We own the things that we've done wrong and we pour it out in front of each other. We confess our sins one to another so that we can find grace and healing in that moment so that we can find freedom from that thing. That is what the church is all about. We are a grace community. We've all done things that we shouldn't have done. But rather than running, we repent. We turn from the thing that God has called us from. 
We confess it. We walk in openness and in freedom with one another. Christian community is known for being judgmental. That's really the last thing that we should be known for when we've been forgiven of so much. Each of us have got to be in touch with what Jesus has forgiven us for. And when somebody brings their shame to us, we don't pile on shame, and rejection, and judgment. Pile on forgiveness. It's God who judges. We don't judge. We're already under judgment, but thank God he's lifted that judgment off us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so a mark of maturity is rather than running, we repent. Does it cost us sometime our reputation? Yes. Does it cost us economically sometimes? Yes. Cost this community something in order of around $6 million burned publicly. It's going to cost us. But rather than running, a mark of maturity is that we repent. Second mark of maturity is rather than repeating, we have revelation. Repeating versus revelation. The sons of Sceva repeated what they had heard. They said, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. The Jesus. We're like, we don't even know how to use his name right. Come on. The Jesus. And the demon responds, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And subsequently beats the living crud out of them. So we can see that repeating stuff is not how we grow in our spiritual authority or maturity. Rather, we have to go and receive directly from Jesus, directly from his word, directly from God, and get some of that on the inside of us. Frankly, friends, your uh, the spiritual powers that exist around your life do not care how well I preach. They care what's in your life and what's coming out of your life, do they care about what you're repeating or what you're receiving from God? Which, the answer is what you're receiving from God. Yeah, they, demonic powers care about that. Spiritual realities care about what you are receiving from God and walking in. They don't care about what you're repeating. They care about what you're, what you're walking in, the revelation of God, what you're receiving. And so... All of us have got to get some of our own revelation from the Word of God. I've been walking with God for a number of years. I've been pastoring for I don't know, 12 years, more. And something that I've heard a lot of people say, and I've had people leave my church, I've heard people leave other churches, I've had people come into our church for this reason left other churches, left their communities, left their pastor, left whatever. For this reason, I was not being fed. I was not being fed. And Paul actually writes a lot about being fed in Scripture. And he says, every time that he mentions being fed, you know, like um, receiving revelation or instruction from a pastor-type figure, it's always as a mark of immaturity. He says, I couldn't feed you meat. I had to feed you milk. I couldn't give you the real stuff. I had to feed you myself. Being fed is not a mark of maturity. It's in fact a mark of immaturity. Who, who gets fed in your home? It's the babies. I've got a five-year-old daughter who feeds herself. She didn't quite cook yet, but we're working on that. Getting fed is not a mark of maturity. So it's not a good reason to leave a church. 
it's a great reason to pull out your Bible, start to read it. Get fed from God. A mark of maturity is walking in revelation versus repeating. The third mark of maturity is image versus holiness. When I think of the sons of Sceva, there was a lot of motivation for them to, to um, go in and cast out demons. One, I mean, they had the title. They were titled itinerant exorcists. Two, they, their daddy was the big head honcho of that area. The high priest is what it's called. That was not the high priest in Jerusalem, but maybe a, a local priest, Jewish authority in that area. And also, they were getting jealous because Paul is getting these amazing results, and what do they have to show for it? And so they were cultivating an image and trying to uphold some sort of external image to the people around them, whether it was daddy or the Jewish community. I'm not entirely sure, but you can see that they care more about what is happening and how they're being viewed externally than their personal walk with God. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with him. And we'll call him the Jesus when you know him personally. As a culture, we spend a lot of time curating our own images, making sure that we dress right, that we look right, that our body's right, that we're eating the right things, that we're posturing politically right in our particular political sphere, that we're a part of the right causes, that we're saying the right words, that we're saying talking about the right narratives. We are great at looking good, but when is the last time you chose not to click on something because it would separate you from God? When's the last time you averted your eyes from something because you said, I am holy and that is unholy? When's the last time you chose to not watch a TV show because it was going to pull you away from God and make you start to think badly about your neighbor or make you start to think wrong thoughts about men or women in your life, make you start to look at people lustfully? When's the last time we operated out of holiness as opposed to our image? Who do you want to look good in front of? The world or God? One is your earthly image, and the other is holiness. The mark of immaturity is that we care more about our image than we care about holiness. Holiness simply means set apart. It means that we're not like the world. We're not like our friends or our family. We're not like people in society, that we're going to allow God to influence our thoughts, allow God to change the way that we think about the world. Where are you getting your information from? Where are you getting your identity from? Do you care more about your image or about your holiness? The fourth thing, mark of maturity, is walking in the authority of Jesus. When we choose to give our lives to Jesus, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Something happens that's legally binding in the spiritual world. And we cross out of a contract of achieving salvation and achieving righteousness in the eyes of God through our 
own good works and into a righteousness based on the blood of Jesus, on his good works, the blood that he shed for our sins on the cross. We enter into what the Bible calls a covenant of grace. Covenant is like a contract, only stronger, only that God provides and upholds both ends of the bargain. He says, I'm going to provide for you um, the law, and I'm going to meet it entirely on your end. I'm going to provide everything on both sides of the contract. That's what the covenant is. And we choose day by day to walk in that reality. Now, at first, that sounds great. That's like, hey, I've received forgiveness at no cost to myself. Praise God, I'm forgiven. And then a lot of people will say, well, does that mean that I now get to do whatever I want to do? Well, what you've now done is you've stepped out of your good works and into God's good works, but you've also stepped out of your power into God's power. That's awesome. Like, so I get to now beat up the spiritual force in my life. Yes, you've also stepped out of your authority into God's authority. Oh, that's, that's where it gets us, right? Stepped out of your righteousness into God's righteousness. That's great. Forgiveness, awesome. Out of your power into God's power, new spiritual authority and power, awesome. Out of God's authority in my life, excuse me, out of my own authority into God's authority in my life. It's called lordship. <laughs> it's called God truly being God in your life. And if A and B are true, then you've also got to receive C, the lordship of Jesus. Forgiveness is true in your life. If his power is true in your life, then his lordship must also be true in your life. This covenant of grace holds real spiritual weight that God wants to uphold in your life, that demons and Satan must adhere to in your life, but you have to walk in it. It's on you to walk in the authority of God. Will your life be submitted to him or will you continue to operate as a little demigod in your own life? Are we going to walk under God's authority and therefore receive the benefits and the power and the authority? Or are we going to operate separate from God's authority and not receive the benefits, the covering, power? When Paul was walking through the streets of Ephesus, healing people, sharing pieces of garments, and seeing those garments heal people. What was that about? That was about a man that had chosen a thousand times to walk under the authority of God. Later in Corinthians, he writes this, as he, chooses, as he tries to demonstrate his love for the people, for the church in Corinth, he writes some of his journey of walking with God. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Five times, in other words, I've been beaten 39 times with a whip by the Jewish people. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger of false brothers in toil and in hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and in exposure. And apart from all these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety 
for all the churches. He's holding all the weight of the churches together. And he says this as he sums up his thought in the the next chapter in 12, verse 10. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I've died a thousand times to what I want. I've walked under the authority of God. And because of that submission to his authority, now there's an expression of his authority from me into the world. He's died to himself a thousand times. Friends, you don't get the authority of God on your life by walking in your own authority. How dare we even think the thought? A lot of Young Christians want to judge the church for not doing X, Y, and Z. And while that might be accurate, there's also our own personal life. Most of the Christians that bring the heaviest judgments are those that are not themselves walking under the authority of God. Church is guilty because all of us are guilty. But collectively, we're also forgiven. And collectively, we're under the love and authority of Jesus. So what I'd like to ask you to do today is to not run, but repent. To not worry more about your image, but think more about your holiness. To not walk in repeating something that I've said today, but go into your connect group and learn and grow together and get something out of Scripture together. And finally, to not walk in your own authority, to not walk in your own judgment, but to walk under the authority of Jesus. There is real spiritual power and authority through the mighty work of Jesus Christ. And I want it for you, no matter what generation you are a part of. We all have a next step to grow in our maturity, to grow in our relationship with God, and to see that incredible life and power of God expressed through us. I want that for you. And perhaps right now you're experiencing a level of oppression in your life. We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. We can't do this life alone. There were many people that Jesus set free. How do we, how do we get, how do any of us get free? But we walk with other people and they enter into our lives. We pray together and we confess together and we receive the incredible grace of Jesus. And this is an opportunity for you today. If you need prayer, if you need us to stand with you, then please text us. 844-962-3110. Text pray for, and then your prayer request. We want to be standing with you. We want to be praying for you. Let us know how we can stand with you, what you're facing, what you're up against. We want to see the mighty work of Jesus expressed in your life. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you're calling all of us into a next step with you. Lord, I pray for every person that's listening right now. That your power would be expressed to them. The brand new hope would come to them as sins, as experiences press in on them, God, that there would be a victory flowing out of them. It's not based on their circumstances, but based entirely upon your extraordinary life, death, and resurrection power. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Messages Podcast with Every Nation NYC. If you enjoyed our message, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps others hear the message of Jesus, and we really appreciate it. If you have yet to spend time with us in person, we would love to welcome you to one of our services. Visit everynationnyc.org to find all the info you need to attend a service. We will see you there.